Micah chapter 6. Okay, when you find it, I'm going to pray and we'll get, get started in God's Word. Let's pray. Father, ah, we adore you. You are so good. You are so great. Father, thank you. Again, just for the testimonies of your faithfulness, your goodness, your greatness. Teach us this morning a little bit more about who you are and, and the people that uh, you want us to be as your followers. We give this time to you. ask that you bless it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you think God wants from you? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I, I think some of us have asked that question in anger, maybe. When we, it's like we've been, everything's been stripped away, and, and we say, God, what do you want from me? As maybe that's kind of the way Naomi was in the book of Ruth as she blamed God for everything that had happened, it's like, what do you want? So whether it's been in that kind of circumstance or just you before God as you're with him saying, God, what do you want from me? It's a good question to ask. Do you know the answer? I think um, sometimes maybe maybe we're afraid to ask that question. Uh, I know at times I have been afraid to ask the question because I'm afraid of what the, the answer might be. Like God's going to say, okay, go to Libya. <laughs> it's crossed my mind. That wouldn't be punishment for me. <laughs> God, what do you want from me? Wouldn't it be neat if God would just simply say, this is what I want? This is what I require of you. Um, I think sometimes it's easy for us maybe not to know what God wants because we're so busy doing what we want. That might be another part of the problem, right? We're so into what we want and what we want to do that we really don't have time to find out what God wants. I must confess that much of my life growing up, what I thought God wanted was kind of like, I was trying to think how I, kind of like a Bible bobblehead. (laughs) I mean, just, you know, a Bible knowledge expert. Isn't that what God wants? Somebody that can answer all the questions. You got the the question, I got the answer. I mean, just think. It may be like, you know, on page 222, of this Bible, second line down, second word over, what's the word? It's the word go. I just looked that up this morning. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I got to confess, for years, I kind of thought that's what God wanted, and that was like the epitome of what I could be as just a Bible knowledge expert. I could answer any question out of the Bible. Um, have you ever thought that maybe what God wants is just showing up every Sunday? Or 
also one of the things that I grew up thinking was that what God really wanted was that I didn't dance, drink, or smoke, or go with girls that did, you know? <laughs> what does God want? Is what really matters to God that you don't play checkers on Fridays between 3 and 4 p.m.? Well, we're going to read about what God wants this morning in Micah, and it's amazing how clear it is. Micah chapter 6, and I'm going to start at verse 3 if you'd follow along with me. Micah 6, verse 3. O my people, this is God speaking, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me. For I brought you out of Egypt. I redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses and Aaron and Miriam to help you. Don't you remember, my people, how King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed and how Balaam, son of Beor, blessed you instead? And remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. It's amazing God's heart we just see poured out there. And then the response of the people as they hear God's heart, well, what, what can we bring to the Lord? What kind of offerings should we give him? Should we bow before God with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? And then God's response, verse 8. No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. This is what he wants. To memorize the book of Micah. No, sorry, I got mixed up there. This is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 313 6th through 12th graders in Kitsap County in 2009-2010 identified themselves as homeless. 313 6th through 12th graders in Kitsap County. 32.9% of children living in Bremerton are living below the poverty line. Nationwide, 24.4% of students were offered, sold, or given illegal drugs at school in 2009. 25, one-fourth of students in 2009. That wasn't at the Coffee Oasis, that was at school. Okay, I just want you to... Nationwide, 48.2% of young people, get this figure, almost 50% of young people have engaged in sexual activity by the 12th grade. One half of our students. 
23.5% of all deaths between the ages of 10 and 19 in Kitsap County from 2004 to 2008 were from suicide. Crisis line calls in Kitsap County from 2008 to 2009 increased from 2008 to 2009. Suicide calls, 55%. Depression, 66%. Stress and anxiety, 129%. On any given night in Washington State, 20,000 people, including 9,000 children and youth, are homeless on any given night. Well, for years, I lived in basic ignorance to such stark reality. Absolute ignorance. As a preacher, leading Bible studies, preaching, leading board meetings, running committees, doing church, raising my family. And I must confess, happily unaware and definitely uninvolved in this reality. This is our reality, okay? And I must confess also that when I was confronted by it for years, you know, either by reading an article in the newspaper or, you know, uh, a friend saying, did you hear? Or driving by, you know, police activity or um, the evidence of such things, graffiti, that I was um, happily self-righteous in condemning such reality. People nowadays, can you believe it? What is our world coming to anyway? Why can't everybody else be good like me? Oh, come on now. Some of you are self-righteous too. Have been. <laughs> I'm not the only one, am I? <laughs> okay. Insulated from, uninvolved with, and judgmental of the world that I've lived in. That's been my reality for a lot of my life. In church, the church reality that I've lived in, and unfortunately I believe the reality of a lot of what church is in our country. A church that I know, talking, having talked to hundreds of kids over the last dozen or so years, has driven most of them away from our God. So what does God think about all this? What does God want? Well, we got our answer in Micah, don't we? It's pretty simple, pretty clear. And I want us to just kind of go through it quickly as, as we talk this morning, and I, I trust get a little bit more glimpse of God's heart, and I know that many of us have that heart, but I tell you, even as I studied it, uh, again, myself, in, in kind of a, a refocusing, because, you know, one of the things I, I don't want us to become is, is kind of living two, I don't want to live two lives for... <laughs> You know, kind of I run this ministry Monday through Friday, you know, pouring my heart into street and homeless youth and 
at the jail and on the streets and then show up on Sunday and we just play church, okay? I don't want to live two lives like that. And so this is kind of, again, to us saying, this is what God wants. This is why we exist as the body of Christ. It's why I exist as a Christian in this world. As we go through it, I want you to notice, just what's the first thing, verse 3? It's a question. God is asking a question. And I want you to just ask that question to yourself as if God would... God is saying, notice what he's saying. He's saying, my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? That should break our hearts as we hear that. That's God asking that question of his people. Is that a question that God would be asking us this morning? Why are you tired of me? You know, you don't, ever, you don't ever spend time with me. It's been so long since you've been in my word. Why are you tired of me? And then God, after asking that question, states what he has done. It's pretty clear, isn't it? He says, I brought you out of Egypt, the iron furnace of Egypt, I redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to help you for 40 years in the wilderness. Moses led you through that wilderness. Your sandals didn't wear out. I provided manna for you every day. I provided water out of the rock. I provided ravens. I provided everything for you. Everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. And we've got a glimpse of that this morning, haven't we? It's been one of God's faithfulness in the lives of some of you. And every one of us could share something about God's amazing faithfulness. I am. I'm very excited about the wedding this afternoon. Um, Just, you know, two people coming together that God has just so amazingly changed their lives brought kids back. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. It's wonderful. I mean, the testimony of God's redemption, of God's power, of his goodness, of his faithfulness. So God reminds them, and as God asks them and then reminds them, we see their response. And this is the response that every one of us should have in light of, if, if we... If our eyes are opened again to God's goodness and his redemption and his faithfulness, what he has done for us in Christ on the cross, everything, our response should be, what, what can I do then? What can I bring to the Lord? And you see their response. They're saying, Man, what can I do? What kind, of, what kind of special offering? What kind of special sacrifice? I mean, a thousand rams? Is that enough? 10,000 rivers of oil, is that enough? Would it be enough to sacrifice my kids as burnt offerings to God? Would that be enough? What is enough? What should I bring to the Lord? And we should be asking ourselves that question if we have any comprehension of God's goodness and faithfulness and redemption to us. We should be asking that question, God, what do you want? What can I do? But it's interesting. What God is looking for isn't 10,000 rams and 
10,000 rivers of oil. What is he looking for? Three things. Doing justice. And that's what it means when he says to do what is right. Literally, it's the word mishpat. It's the Hebrew word for justice. Doing justice. <coughs> Loving mercy. Walking humbly with your God. That's it. What does it mean? Doing justice. I think one of the things, what it doesn't mean, is it doesn't mean complaining about personal injustice. That's not what it's talking about. Why do I have to, why did the, it's not talking about complaining about personal injustice, nor is it talking about judging we're, we're pretty good at both of those, right? <laughs> so we already got that down. We don't need to do that. <laughs> Doing justice. Personally working for justice for people who are experiencing injustice. So what God wants, that we would work on behalf of people who are experiencing injustice. The poor. You know, one of the most profound verses in the Bible is Galatians chapter 2, verse 10. Galatians 2.10. Yeah, none of you know it. (laughs) When Paul and Barnabas were meeting the apostles and elders at the church in Jerusalem. And the apostles accepted them, gave them the right hand of fellowship, and sent them off as ambassadors to the Gentiles. There was only one thing that the apostles and elders in Jerusalem asked Paul and Barnabas to do. Remember the poor. Can you believe that? Don't forget to celebrate the Sabbath. Don't forget to take the offering. (laughs) Remember the poor. Isn't that amazing? The oppressed. The incarcerated. People who are dependent on public defenders can't pay for a rich lawyer. I watched a powerful movie last night on the healthcare system called John Q. Have any of you seen it? Yeah. It's powerful. You should watch it. It it really ripped me apart as I was reminded about the inequity, <laughs> the inequality of what we have in the United States of America and what is wealth what is available to somebody like me who can afford insurance and what isn't available to those who can't afford insurance and many who have just or are going to soon lose insurance, basic health insurance being taken away because of all the budget cuts. Working for justice. That's what God wants. Amazing. Listen to these verses. Isaiah 58, 
You can turn there if you want. Uh, page 562, Isaiah 58. I'm going to start at verse 1. I want us to get a sense of God's, God's heart here. He has a heart for the poor, for the oppressed, for the prisoners, for those in bondage. Isaiah 58, it says, Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud, don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Verse 2, yet they act so pious. I know how to do that. They come to the temple every day. They seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending that they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it, God. Don't you appreciate what we're doing? I will tell you why God responds. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. Oh, my goodness. One of the things that just rips me apart is when all the stuff was going on with Enron and all these all the corporate greed that goes on in our country. I mean, they were church people that were running those companies and were defrauding their workers and ripping off other people. They were elders. They were respectable church people. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? Verse 6 and 7. No, God says this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Doesn't it tear you apart when you read the story of a guy that just got out of jail, prison after 35 years of being falsely accused, proclaiming his innocence all the while, and then DNA evidence proves that he was innocent all the while? Man. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Doing justice. Loving mercy. Not for ourselves. I know. We love other people to get justice. <laughs> and we love when we get mercy. Loving mercy, not for ourselves, but to show it to others. And notice what it says, not just showing mercy, but loving to show it. That's what I love about it. It says, loving mercy, not just showing mercy. Loving mercy. Longing to show it. That's what it says in Isaiah 30:18 about God. God longs to be gracious to us. That's God. Do we long to be gracious to other people? 
They made their bed, let them lie in it, right? Not feeling inconvenienced, although it can be inconveniencing. (laughs) Not put out, or on the other hand, coming across like we're helping people out. Good people. You know, people hate feeling like they're somebody's project, you know that? <laughs> I've been asked that so many times as I've <clears throat> doing what I do. I said, Am I just your project? I said, what else would you be? No, I was kidding. <laughs> I was kidding. Good grief. <laughs> Loving mercy. How can we do justice? How can we be people who do justice? It's because we're people who love mercy. And how can we be people who love mercy? Because we're people who walk humbly with our God. That's, I think, the progression of these verse, this verse. Meaning that we're individuals who have come to the end of ourselves. And we recognize our desperate need of God day by day by day by day. That God isn't looking for good people or people to do something for him or to sacrifice something for him, but he's looking for people who are coming to the end of themselves and realizing that it's by the grace of God that we are what we are, are eager to overflow that grace to other people. People walking humbly with their God overflowing, loving to overflow, loving to show God's mercy, irregardless of who they are, who it is, because I could never outshow God. He has been so good to me. This kind of people will change the world. So, How do you respond when you hear about corporate greed? I mean, things like American Insurance Group, several months ago, when the directors gave themselves these huge multi-million dollar bonuses after having been bailed out by the federal government, doesn't that make you, it's unjust, that's wrong. How do you respond when the wealthier just keep getting wealthier? An amazing statistic. This is the United States of America, and I tell you, it floored me because I always used to think of this statistic in light of the other parts of the world. The average income of the top 0.01% of people in the United States, okay, the top 100th wage earners in the United States make 926 times more than the average income of the bottom 90%. We live in a land where the wealthier keep getting wealthier and the poor getting poorer. Does that bother you? where one out of five children now in the United States are living in poverty? 
In fact, 40 million Americans are living in poverty out of 300 million, our current population. In a country where our prison population is 2 million, the largest prison population of any country in the world. Although some countries might have skewed statistics. Compare that to the United Kingdom or France or Germany whose prison population is, well, think about us, 2 million? France, Germany, England, 73,000. Isn't that amazing? What's wrong? In a country where 60.21% of our prison population is African American, when only 12.9% of our population is African American. When one out of 31 people in the United States are either on probation, incarcerated, or on parole. Isn't that an amazing statistic? One out of 31 people are incarcerated, on probation, or on parole. That's amazing. Where many of our clothes and household items are made in sweatshops. I know, getting a little uncomfortable there. In Asia or South America or the United States of America. And I could go on and on. How does God respond to this? He wants people who do justice, who love mercy, who walk humbly with their God. Do such things like I just talked about, it would have made me extremely uncomfortable to be sitting where you're sitting Um, many years ago and have somebody just said what I said. It would have made me really uncomfortable. It would have offended me. It would have made me just really angry, like, who is he to talk about this? Do such statistics offend you or anger you, or do they make you hurt inside, like watching the movie Where God Left His Shoes? Any of you watch that movie, Where God Left His Shoes? story about a homeless family in New York City kicked out of a shelter on Christmas Eve. It's a powerful movie that will give you one of the best understandings of all the issues that are involved with homelessness. Real issues where God left his shoes. Working for justice loving mercy, walking humbly with our God. So where do we start? I just want to wrap it up here. Where do we start? What, what does God want? And I want you to think, what does God want from you? Three things. He wants you, and this is the first thing. This is where it starts. He wants you to walk humbly with him. That's the starting point. And remember, this isn't just about God saying, okay, I want you to do something for me. I want you to sacrifice for me. It's just us if it's not God flowing through us. It's just us trying to crank something out, be a good person, do good things. And in 1 Corinthians 13, it says we can even give away everything. We can 
give our bodies to be burned, but if there's not love, it's nothing. Where does God want us to start? To walk humbly with him. To recognize your desperate need of God's grace in your life. That it's by God's grace that you are what you are. And in realization of that grace, go through your day depending upon him and clinging to him and hoping in him and loving him and enjoying him and delighting in him. So that the number two thing that he wants happens because it's his love and it's his grace and it's his mercy and kindness just gushing through you as you're overwhelmed and amazed and grateful for his grace and goodness and kindness to you. You're going to want to show other people. You're going to want to love to show other people God's mercy. And then number three, you're going to want to work for justice then. You're going to want to do things like uh, maybe sign a petition. My wife sent me a, an email yesterday of a petition she signed. It seems like a small thing. A thing called change.org to the largest flower company in the world, 1-800-Flowers. 54,000 petitions caused them to respond to the complaints about the unfair conditions to their workers, their female flower workers. And so they, as a company, decided to start selling only fair trade flowers so that their company, instead of oppressing these women in South America, would bless them. That's doing justice. Or another petition that people signed in complaining to companies like Abercrombie and Gap and Target about the sweatshops that are building our clothes, that are making our clothes, the Target responded to the campaign by saying, what can we do to get off your list? What do we need to do? And they responded by changing, beginning to change their practices and what they do. That's justice. God loves that. He loves when we love mercy, when we do justice, because we're walking with him and his heart becomes our heart. And then our world is changed. That's what we're about as a ministry, what we're trying to be about. I, but I must confess that my whole life has been a process and is still a process of learning to do justice because I love mercy, because I'm walking humbly with my God. Let's pray. Father, uh, make us the people you want us to be. Open our hearts to your love, your grace, your mercy that you've poured out upon us on the cross in Christ and every day of our lives. God, open our eyes, change our hearts, make us people that work for justice, love to show mercy as we walk through our days with you. In Jesus' name, amen.